please turn in your Bibles appropriately, I think, after that hymn, to Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. This is our scripture reading this morning, Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. And then our sermon passage is taken from Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, technically 10a, but uh, 1 to 1, I'm uh, sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10 is our sermon passage today. But first, Luke 22, verses 14 to 20, uh, 20, verse 20. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. This is your Father speaking to you. So please give your full attention to Him now. And when the hour came, He reclined at table and the apostles with Him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now turning, if you will, to Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 and reading through most of verse 10. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. This ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are thankful for your word. It is the most true and lasting memorial that we have. It is. The sacraments, Lord, we're thankful that we have these memorial stones. We thank you that your word, as it were, is written down indelibly, that it is permanent, that it is durable, that it lasts, that it has 
endured down to our age, and we're thankful, Lord, that it will endure. Lord, we're thankful for these other memorials, these testaments to your goodness, your mighty deeds, your long suffering, and your patience, and your everlasting love. And so, Lord, we are thankful for the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, these markers of your grace. Your mercy. Lord, we pray that you would teach us today through the preaching of your word who you are and what you have done. We pray that you'd teach us who we are in relation to you. And we ask, O Lord, that you would be glorified as your word is now preached. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you may remember this from years and years ago when we worked our way through the, through the Gospel of Joshua. I guess you could call it that, but through the book of Joshua, the Gospel in the Old Testament. You may remember that in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, the first Israelites in 40 years crossed the boundary to the Promised Land when they stepped into the waters of the Jordan River. But this was no ordinary river crossing. It was anything but. It was extraordinary in every way because, as it turned out, the waters of the Jordan River barely touched their feet. They receded the waters. The river itself, when they stepped into it, it was flooding, probably overflowing its normal boundaries at that time of year. And then the water... This flowing water in this river, it stopped, and we read in chapter 3, verse 16, it stood and rose up in a heap, gathering volume, height, mass, all of those things over the time that it took for the Israelites to cross over. Everything was different about this river crossing, and that is because God intended for it to be different making it so that the only comparison that the people of Israel could make with it was with the crossing of uh, uh, the Israelites through the Red Sea, away from the Egyptians. He wanted this event to leave a lasting impression on the memory banks of his people, but God also knew that his people had the tendency to forget. And not just God's Old Testament people have the tendency to forget. And that is why God instructed that 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, pick up one stone each out of the Jordan River to be stacked where Israel would camp the night of their crossing. And this stack of stones would stand as a permanent memorial to the miracle that God performed the day they crossed the river. The Israelites, and we today, forget. And so we need to be reminded to remember what God has done. Think of the kindness of this. God shows the frailty of our memory, and so He instructs the twelve tribes of Israel to set up a monument to remind them of what, they, what He has done for them. And as with the Old Testament, so with the New. In the New Testament, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, instructed the twelve apostles to have regular memorial services to remind them of what He did for them. Jesus knew. God the Son who came in the flesh knew that even the eyewitnesses to Jesus' death on the cross were prone to forgetting what He had done. How much more are we? How much more are we? 
And so as we work our way through the sermon today, I'd ask you to consider this. God's saving act of redemption through the life, death, and the resurrection of His Son is a, a historical fact, and we must never forget it. Again, God's saving act of redemption through the life, the death, and the resurrection of His Son is a historical fact, and we must never forget it. The sermon is divided into three parts today. Twelve stones is the first part. The second part, when your children ask. And the third part, a second stack. Again, twelve stones, when your children ask, and a second stack. So let's look at the first part of the sermon today, twelve stones. Verses 1 to 3 Say this, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Now, if you read through chapter 3, you'll see that God has already instructed Joshua to do that very thing. He's instructed him to get 12 men. And they're to stand there in their job while the Israelites are crossing the Jordan River in front of the ark, which is in the middle of uh, the the riverbed, being held by the Kohathites, that special part of the Levitical uh, priesthood, who were tasked with carrying the, the ark on their shoulders, on those poles. Those 12 men were to stand there and watch the spot where these priests stood. And once everybody was crossed over, and once the ark departed from that spot, they were to pick up 12 stones from that spot and take them with them. Now, later in chapter 14, we're not going to get to that portion of uh, chapter 4, rather, today. Verse 13 of of chapter 4 says this, that 40,000 soldiers passed over the dry riverbed of the Jordan that day. That is twice the size of an infantry division of the Army or the Marine Corps. And that number does not include all of the women and the children and the cattle, the livestock, all of their possessions that they were taking with them. This was the whole entirety of Israel going into the promised land. It would have taken a long, long time. The good news, when the water was stopped, everything south of it was dry. The miles and miles of dry riverbed. don't know how traversable those areas are or were in that day. But certainly, people could cross. And so even as they passed over in haste, as the last part of verse 10 says, it still would have taken quite some time to get that many people across the riverbed. And once all of the Israelites had passed to the other side, the 12 men were to take 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan riverbed, from the very place that the priests who held the Ark of the Covenant stood to take them, and we read they were to, to put them on their shoulders. Now, we don't necessarily want to imagine men according to our standards today. These men were mighty men. These men would probably make the mightiest of our men look fairly namby-pamby. Maybe some of the strongest, maybe the biggest bodybuilders, but in terms of practical strength and the ability to raise stones, it's hard to imagine For us to imagine, I think, how big the stones likely were. Bigger than anything that probably, not to put anybody down in this room, but anything bigger than most anybody in this room could carry. These were 
probably large stones. This was a significant edifice that was going to be built when they reached their destination. Why? Why? So that the people would not forget. You know those 12 men were not going to forget. The heft, the size of the stones that they carried for several miles after they had come up out of the Jordan riverbed. It was so that they would never forget. Now after the terrorist attacks on September 11, you knew I was going to make the connection. After those terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001, the rallying cry of every American and of people around the world was never forget as if it were possible to forget something so traumatic as the Twin Towers coming down, the plane crashing into the Pentagon, United 93 crashing into that field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, as if it were possible to forget. And yet, as time passes, no matter how hard you try, memories fade. Yesterday was an emotional day for many people, probably many of you in this congregation, many people around this country. It was an emotional day. 20 years. How is that possible? There's an entire generation of our children who were not alive when 9-11 happened. Many of us here today were just children when it happened. Yesterday, my family visited the 9-11 Flight Crew Memorial in Grapevine. I encourage you to go to it. It's, it's a great memorial for such a small town. And while we were there, I was reminded of details that I had long forgotten. I had forgotten, despite my cry to never forget. All of the names of the flight crews of the four four planes that crashed were engraved in stone in this monument. All of the names of the firefighters and the police officers who perished that day were etched on black granite obelisks that called to mind the two towers. And it was astonishing how powerfully the memories from 2001 came flooding back. My family and I watched some of the footage yesterday morning. It showed the planes crashing into those towers. It was equally astonishing to realize how much I had forgotten. On 9-11-2001, I was still serving in the Marines. I I was an older Marine. I was 30 years old. I had four months left until my enlistment was finished. And when the destruction started happening, there were a group of us, and so many of you who were alive, you remember, you know, you can remember where you were, what you were doing that day. I was working in the combined arms staff trainer on the campus of the base of Camp Lejeune. And my supervisor was a retired colonel, Colonel Noble. And as soon as he became aware of what was going on, he gathered everybody in that building into a room and we watched what was going on on the poor quality, no HD television that we had there. And everybody in that room and everybody on that base and everybody in the military that day and probably most of the people in the United States, we knew that we were at war. We knew that after that date, everything about our country, that something had changed irrevocably. Things were not going to be the same. And looking back 20 years later, we see that to be the case. 
things that we now in some ways take for granted. They were not the norm 20 years ago. Flying, for instance, was a whole lot more fun prior to the events on 9-11-2001. A lot easier, a lot less burdensome. Though those memories are etched, yesterday reminded me of how much I had forgotten. And going to that memory, that memorial yesterday, it made me realize that I had failed to remember fully the tragic events of that day. Now, obviously, Israel's river crossing was not a tragic event. It was the exact opposite of a tragic event. And as hard as it may be, to be, may be for us to believe, it was an even more powerful experience for them than 9-11 was for us. Even so, they would forget. They had been waiting to cross into the promised land, not just for decades, but for centuries. For centuries. Abraham had heard that promise from God himself, and his people had been waiting to cross into the promised land. And while they were on the cusp of entering into the promised land, they had had to wait 40 more years because of the disobedience of that generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt. You would think they would have been so grateful, and yet they forgot what the Lord had done in causing them to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. They forgot. This was a massive event, a massive day for them, and even so, they would forget just like their parents did. But God wanted them to remember, and knowing his people's weak memories, knowing their proneness to forget, he commanded them to build a memorial at the place they would camp that night, using the 12 stones that were taken from where the priests had been standing. And this is not new. This is not unusual. Throughout the Bible, God calls on His people to remember Him. He warns them over and over again not to forget Him. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. And then just a few verses later in Deuteronomy 8, in verse 18, God says, You shall remember the Lord your God. He commands us to do this. But even though He commands His people to remember, He still gives them ways by which they can remember such as these memorial stones in our passage. He did the same in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. You may remember that from a year ago, a year and a half ago when we were there in 1 Samuel. Samuel set up memorial stones there. He called them Ebenezer. After this great victory against the Philistines, and Samuel knew that the victory was God's victory against the Philistines. He had rescued Israel from the attack of the Philistine army. God did not want his people to forget Now, it might seem impossible for us that we could forget something as simultaneously tragic and amazing as Jesus Christ's death on the cross, but we do forget. We forget about it. The Apostle Paul said that he resolved to know nothing but Christ crucified. And yet we can't seem to get through a single day thinking about it at all. And for that reason, Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, he instituted the Lord's Supper so that they, that we, would never forget the good news of the gospel, that the Son of God died for ungodly sinners. 
And so just as God desired for the Israelites never to forget the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land, so he desires for us never to forget the miraculous saving work of his son on the cross. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, when your children ask. Memorials such as the Twelve Stones and the Lord's Supper, they're not just to remind those who were there of what happened. If that were the case, then the memorial that is the Lord's Supper would really not serve much of a purpose for us. They also offer teachable moments for those who weren't there. Verses 5 and 6 say, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Now, none of our children, in, in my family, in our family, none of our children were born prior to 9-11. And so yesterday, part of what we did was rehearse some of the events of that day. In some ways, introduce new things to them. Why did these men fly the planes into the towers? Why did this happen? Reminding them of how many people were lost on that day, the consequences of those things. And in some ways, it's similar to what God is telling the Israelites here. It's a teachable moment. Now we learn in chapter 4, verse 19, just a little later after our passage ended this morning, that the place Israel camped that night was Gilgal, which was about five miles west of the Jordan River. So they had to carry these heavy stones on their shoulders for five miles. It was about two miles northeast of Jericho, which is where they would go on after all of the males had to suffer and be circumcised. And given the location... Later generations of Israelites would pass by Gilgal and see the memorial stones there and be reminded of what God did in heaping up the waters of the Jordan River so God's people could cross into the promised land of dry ground. And you read about it. Just do a, just do a study. If you've got an app on your phone that allows you to do a word search, just do a search for the word Gilgal, the name Gilgal, and you'll see it. Undoubtedly, parents would take their children past it, do a special field trip, like parents today, take their children places to remember, to be taught. Now notice what verse 6 doesn't say. It doesn't say if your children ask, but when your children ask in time to come. What do those stones mean to you? And so what this means is that the parents have an obligation, a duty to teach them, to, to provide them the opportunity to ask the question. The parents needed to take their children to the memorial stones. They had a duty. And when they do it, the children, naturally curious children being, they will ask. All we have to do is provide them with the occasion. The children of the current generation will see those stones and it will provide the perfect opportunity for the parents to teach their children about the amazing crossing of the Jordan River that they experienced. But more importantly, it will provide them with the perfect opportunity to teach their children about the amazing goodness and power of the Lord. To teach their children why it is that they are to love the Lord their God with all of their heart. 
God wanted to provide His people with a lasting, teachable moment for their children. And when their children ask, Joshua says in verse 7, then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. The intent behind this memorial is that the parents who experienced God's awesome power firsthand and their children and their children's children and further on down the line that they would learn about God's awesome power. God has created us so that, the, so that memorials take us back in a visceral way to an event that we have experienced. And so in later years, the Israelites who had witnessed the waters of the Jordan heaping up and the riverbed becoming completely dry when they would pass by those memorial stones, it would all come rushing back to them. Just like it did for you yesterday. It would all come rushing back. And the emotions of that day and the power on display, it would all come back. But notice that the bare memorial isn't enough to convey to the younger generation the meaning of the memorial. The parents have to explain what the memorial means. Why do you think every time we have the Lord's Supper, each and every month, why do you think we read the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper? Because we'll forget why we're celebrating this sacrament. We'll forget. And within a generation, those elements, those signs, will become meaningless symbols. We have to teach. We have to teach. And parents, if you've got children who are not able to take the Lord's Supper, teach them about what it means when that tray passes in front of them and they say, why can't I take it? Well... We're waiting for you to profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to be able to do that. And we're going to instruct you in every way that we can so that you do. And we look forward to that day when you will. It's a teachable moment. That's what it's intended, at least in part, to do. So we have to explain. We have to use words. We have to teach. We have to convey. We have to tell the story. Now, brain scans have shown, this is true. I've got the footnote in my sermon from eight years ago. You can look it up on the New York Times. Brain scans have shown that that evocative language in literature causes the reader's brain to react as if the person was in the situation being described. This is unique to literature, not so much technical books. Even theological books don't quite have this power in the same way. Literature, story. A New York Times article about the the neuroscience of reading fiction states this. The brain, it seems, does not make much of a distinction between reading about an experience and encountering it in real life. In each case, the neurological regions are stimulated in the same way. Think about that for a moment. Those of you, if you've read some good fiction, you know, if, you're a, if you love novels, if you love it, you know that you are transported into that moment and your brain is firing up just like it would if you were actually there. That's the way God has created you to be. We are creatures who need stories. We're creatures who need them. God has created us in such a way that we, we feed off of them. We love them. 
The description of an event has the effect of making our brains behave like we were in the middle of the action. And so even though we weren't present at Israel's crossing of the Jordan River, reading about it can give us a sense of being there. Even though we weren't present when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or when he died on the cross, our brains have been hardwired by God in such a way that when we read about it, when we hear about it, when we tell the story, actively remembering his death on the cross, our brains behave as if we were there. And so there is a sense when we sing that great hymn, Were You There? We can say, yes, I was. Because God, by his word, has transported us there. In a sense. And because our memories are frail, because we are prone to forget, we need reminders. We need memorials to take us back to significant events in the past. A wedding band serves that purpose. A wedding band reminds us of that day when we got married. A class ring can do the same. It reminds you of that day you graduated from your favorite university. Or a piece of an I-beam taken from the rubble of the Twin Towers and set up as a memorial. It can do the same. When it's properly explained, when we understand why the metal is twisted, why it seems to be melted in places. And like an I-beam from the Twin Towers, the stones that God instructed Israel to set up, they could be touched. They could be sensed. You might even be able to smell Uh, to a slight degree, the the smell of the Jordan River on those stones. The twelve stones stacked at Gilgal, they served the purpose for God's people. They served that purpose for God's people. And the portion of God's Word that describes that memorial and the, the events surrounding it serves the same purpose for us. You can't go back and certainly identify the twelve stones anymore. God's word for us has become the 12 stones. God's word is truly a memorial forever because God's word stands forever. The bread and wine that we hold in our hands during the Lord's Supper does the same. It takes us back to the most significant event, not just in the history of the church, not just in the history of God's people, the most significant event in the history of the world. The Lord's Supper takes us back to it. So that we can know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We need to be reminded of the good things God has done for us. And God has instituted that memorials be set up to make us remember because we won't do it on our own. That brings us to the third part of the sermon, a second stack. In verses 8 to 10, we read of the completion of the Israelite army crossing over the Jordan River. And we also read about the 12 men following Joshua's command. Verse 8 says that they picked up the 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan River, just as the Lord had commanded commanded Joshua. They carried these stones to the place where they lodged for the night, five miles to the west of the Jordan River at Gilgal. Notice that there is an emphasis in these verses on obedience to God's command. They did everything just as God had specified them to do. In verse 8 it says that the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. They took up the 12 stones. They did so just as the Lord told Joshua. Verse 10 says, says that the priests bearing the ark stood in the middle of the Jordan. Until everything was finished, 
that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. Again, great, great emphasis placed on obedience to God's command, whether they've come directly from the Lord or through an intermediary such as Joshua or even Moses. And this emphasizes the, the ceremonial nature of this event. Everything was done according to the specifications that God had given. But verse 9 introduces something new. It says, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. God didn't tell Joshua to do this. Was Joshua being disobedient? I guess we should say, Scripture doesn't record God telling Joshua to do this. Not all special revelation has been set down for us in Scripture. There is, there was, uninscripturated special revelation given to God's prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New. We have to conclude based on the obedience of everything else, the obedience to everything else that God had commanded, that God also had commanded Joshua to do this. Now, some biblical scholars have suggested that the 12 stones that Joshua set up in the Jordan River were the same stones that the 12 men later picked up and took to Gilgal. It could be that. He could have set it up, but it doesn't seem to indicate that. They are there to this day. And so the text indicates that there were, in fact, 12 different stones than the one taken to Gilgal. It makes sense that Joshua would want to mark the very spot in the Jordan River where the Kohathites who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood when the waters ceased to flow. And so it seems likely that this was a separate memorial from the one set up from the stones of the 12 men. How many of you have been to Dallas? How many of you have been to the location where John F. Kennedy was assassinated. How many of you have specifically looked for the the little X on the street? You want to see the exact place where it happened. Now imagine the people who are crossing the river. They want to be able to see. They'd like to be able to know exactly where it happened. They want to know. There's nothing wrong with that. It's appropriate. One commentator suggests that these stones Joshua set up, they would have been visible at least in the Jordan River when the level was low, in the dry season, when uh, when the river had been reduced, not quite to a a trickle, but more like a stream than a river. And a second set of stones even more strongly emphasizes the importance of God's people remembering what He has done for them. As we've already seen, we're commanded to remember the Lord and His mighty works for us, That's what we're commanded to do, brothers and sisters. So let me ask you this in a gentle way, in a loving way, hopefully in a caring way. What are you doing to remember what God has done for you? What are you doing to remember what God has done for you? Because you see, we too have an obligation to do it. We so easily carry with us the hard things that we've suffered in this life. Many people are bitter with God because of what they blame Him for. We carry around in our back pocket a card that says, It's not fair! So some of you here may be carrying with you bitterness about past events, things that have happened to you. 
But what are you doing to carry forward with you, to remind you of the good things that God has done? How do you remind yourself of the blessings that God has rained down upon you and upon your family? What are the memorial stones that you have set up, the Ebenezer's that you have raised in your own life? Maybe you don't have that many set up. Some of you are young. You haven't had time to stack the stones, to remember God's goodness to you. Perhaps you're like me, getting old, prone to forget, the weakness of the mind, the frailty of our memories. If you're like me, it starts to expose itself a little more. Well, guess what? There's good news. God is good. He understands that our memories are frail. He has set up for you memorial stones. He's done it for you. To remind you of His goodness to you. And here are a few of them that He has given to you. A few memorials He has erected to remind you of His goodness for you. Our weekly worship services. They're here to worship the Lord. That's why God established it. He is to be glorified. We are to honor Him. We are to worship Him. He's the only one deserving of our worship. And yet they were also established to remind us of His goodness to us. This weekly worship service on the Lord's Day is a memorial. It's a memorial stone. The celebration of the Lord's Supper in this church. It was specifically instituted by Christ Himself as a memorial. A memorial by which God conveys grace to believers who partake of the meal in faith. So it is a memorial. It's more than a memorial. It gives you grace, the grace that you need to make it through this life. But it is to cause you to remember, to prevent you from forgetting. God's word is a memorial stone. God's word is where God's mighty acts of salvation are recorded in permanent form. How blessed are we to have not just one copy of God's word, but multiple copies of God's word. What a blessing it is. It's a regular reading of God's word, both in corporate worship and outside of it. It will serve to remind you of God's goodness to you. Your baptisms... They serve as a memorial to you. Even if you can't remember them, your parents will tell you you were baptized when you were a baby. Or you'll remember that you were baptized as a teenager or even as an adult. And it serves as a memorial to you, a testament of God's goodness to you. And regularly praying in worship, out of worship, it will give you opportunity to exercise your memory, to pray with thankfulness for God's goodness to you. Remember, don't forget, God has commanded you. He's commanded his people to remember him and what what he has done for us. But he's also given you everything that you need to remember. To think on nothing, to know nothing, but Christ and him crucified You ought regularly to seek to remind yourselves about what God has done, but God is going to do it whether you will or not. He's going to remind you. All you've got to do, brothers and sisters, in one sense, is just show up. Just show up. 
And he'll do the rest. He'll remind you. Why? So that you and I, so that we will never forget. So that we'll never forget the good news. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we are thankful for those 12 memorial stones, those 24 memorial stones, as it may very well have been. We are thankful for the story that you have handed down to us about your mighty works of salvation. We are thankful that we can read of what you did for the Israelites in crossing the Jordan River as if we were there. We're thankful that their story is our story. And we pray, dear Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, through the exercise of the ordinary means of grace, that we would never forget what you have done. That we would never forget Christ Jesus' sacrifice for us. And we pray, dear Lord, that the more we reflect on it, the more that we remind ourselves, the more that we would remember what Jesus Christ has done, the more joyful we would be, the more content we would become, the more delighted in you we would live our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.